0: And that's what we've been focusing on, hope. And we're in this series, and it's the last sermon on the resurrection equals hope, because next week we celebrate Pentecost. Lord willing, we get into a series where the Holy Spirit equals hope. And so my prayer today is that you see... Jesus and the hope that He brings. Uh, you know, uh, Robbie, I love when when Robbie prays and and when he talks about that whatever happens in our lives is for uh, our good. It's for the good that God is going to bring about in our lives. But sometimes that's a, a pleasing to me. Like I want to hear, God, you're good. God, you're good. But sometimes I really don't like the circumstances I'm in, and it's, so it's hard for me to trust the Lord sometimes in the circumstances that it's really for my good. So uh, let me just tell you what happened. So this week. I had to speak in Louisiana. So I was out of Louisiana. Uh, Lynette flew out there with me. And so we're flying back. It's, it's uh, late Friday afternoon. There's storms all around. If you know anything about Louisiana, you know how that, the storms come off the water. And so there are these storms. And I'm going, okay, Lord, you know, uh, I guess it's going to be pretty turbulent on the flight. Right? And so I'm expecting that. And the pilot is, is there in the airport with us. And I'm kind of talking to him beforehand and he's telling us about you know these storms and what they do and how they maneuver around them and I said that's great then all of a sudden we get on the plane and my wife and I and and it's crowded it's 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 one of those crowded flights and we're sitting there and I'm on the aisle seat because look at me right I'm not going to sit next to the window that's that's not going to be you know you don't want to be in that middle person because that's really awkward because you're hanging on one side of somebody you know hopefully and then you're body's hanging on the other side because you don't know, have a muffin top so things spread and it's, you can laugh it's true and so you know so I'm on the aisle and then there's my and then there are these um let me try and be really sweet there are these people that are not from America and they're they're really kind of um loud and getting kind of crazy this is a true story so basically long story short. They, they, they get up right before we're getting to take off. One girl just gets up and changes seats, and the flight attendant comes running over, and she's like, look, there's going to be all this turbulence. He's, the pilot's been on there. One of the pilots has been on there saying, it's going to be all this turbulence. You can't walk around because we've already done the weight distribution. You, once you do the weight distribution, we're getting ready to take off. You, you can't do these things. Well, she's not having that, and so there's, there's, they've got some kids with them, and kids are crying, and... Kids are, you know, spoiled, and to be honest. And, and so they're just like really militant, hint, militant uh, about what's going on. And it got so bad. This is, so we're in the flight, and she starts yelling for the, she's like, juice, juice. You know, and the pilot said, look, if you talk, he's on there. He said, if you talk to the flight attendant, she's just going to stay in her seat, and she's going to smile. She can't move because of the turbulence. Can't do it because uh, we're going through these storms. So, I mean, it got, really, it got really rough. This is no joke. So this is, I'm in the middle of this. I'm going, Lord, rapture, rapture, right? I, I don't want to die. I just want to, I'll be with you, right? Uh, you fall asleep, you wake up, everything's nice. You're in the presence of the Lord. And it's not happening. Rapture's not coming. The Lord is not answering my prayer. I mean, I'm living out revelation. Maranatha, come quickly, come quickly. And nothing's happening. And so, my wife, she's, she's looking at me, I'm looking at her like, this is cray cray, is this Jerry Springer? Or like, we're being punked here, what's going on? And so it gets, it gets wild. So like this one lady gets up with the baby, the flight attendant runs over, grabs the baby, she's like, sit down, you know, I'll take the baby, and I'm like, this is crazy. Then there's a guy behind me, I'm a third degree black belt, sit down! He starts cussing people out, somebody needs Jesus here, they need Jesus there, and I'm too scared to talk. I mean, it's bad. And then, and then he's yelling at the flight attendant, like, it's your job. It's your plane. I mean, it's crazy. This is Delta. Delta means die. And so, and so and we're on there. And uh, this is nuts. It's nuts, people. It's nuts, family. And so, I mean, he's cussing at these people. He's like, go ahead. I'm giving you a hint. Go ahead. Go ahead and run up again. I'll tackle you. Hit. And so I'm like, oh, this is, I mean, what is going on? God, please. Like, it was the longest hour and a half of my life to Atlanta. Like, I literally would rather you deprive me. I would rather you sit at Golden Corral and not eat than go through, right? I'd rather go through that than have to go on that plane. I mean, it was just awful. And, and I'm going, God, where's the hope? Like, if everything is for my good, I don't see any good. And of all the places I could be on the plane, of all the seats I could be, everything happens to. Ha- it just has to happen around me. The people in front who are not from America who are going buck wild. The people are behind me screaming and yelling. I mean, like right behind me, right in front, and I'm stuck in the middle. Like it's it's just a bad sandwich. That's all I can say. I have to relate it to food. And I'm going, God, where's the hope in this? This is like Friday night. This is my Friday night. While you were enjoying your life and having a great life, and having fun, and oh, lovey-dovey feelings when I'm with you. I'm over there, and just really, praise God I'm not going to hell. Because that's the closest thing I know. And so it was like, oh, this is awful. And so God, where's the hope? Where's the hope in all this? And you know what? What's amazing is in the midst of all that, I could go to Jesus, and he became an anchor for my soul. In the midst of people cussing and yelling, and it's going to get violent, and it's just awful. I, my heart was breaking. My heart actually broke for the people that weren't from America because, I mean, I just, men, they need Jesus. The guys behind me and the people behind me that were going, I mean, screaming and yelling at people, telling them what they're going to do to them. And I'm like, they need, you know, I'm on to tackle you, you. They need Jesus. The flight attendant, I felt so bad in my heart. I even gave her cash. I just like Lynette, you got any cash? Like, just, just give her. Some. I mean, I felt like she needed just to be loved and just love on them because the Lord, the Lord was giving me hope in the midst where on the plane there was no hope. And the reason why is because we start preaching the gospel to ourselves in the midst of places where there's no hope. And see, here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you're in a place where, there's, where you need hope, but I am saying this, that when you follow Jesus, he's going to put you in a place where people need hope. And you and I are going to have to be strong in the Lord when we preach the gospel to ourselves, when we preach the gospel. So I, I, I want to take you to a sermon today. Yeah, I love sermons. I love the Word of God becoming alive in Jesus. And so there's a great sermon in Scripture. There are many, but there's one book that's a sermon. And this book is wrapped around this man of God preaching this awesome sermon. And everything is about Jesus. And he's relating everything back into the Old Testament and then showing how Jesus is better than anything else. And in the midst of this sermon, he begins to take Jesus and he takes the Levitical priesthood, the tribe of Levi, which God said, you are going to be the ministers for me between man and God and God and man. And he begins to say, no, there's somebody better than the Levites. And he begins to relate them to this Old Testament figure that we know nothing about hardly. We know that he's the king of Salem or the king of Shalom or the king of priests, and his name means righteousness. And in Scripture, he has no beginning or end, and so there's this typology of him being like Christ. And so the preacher writes this sermon, and he talks about this. And we're going to pick up right in the middle of that where today the reason the resurrection gives us hope is because Jesus is the better hope. In any situation you're in, in any person you rely upon, even if it's yourself, Jesus is better than. He's the better hope. One of the best sermons that we can ever turn to is in Hebrews chapter 7. So if you want there, all this is on Facebook. It's Summit Church, the notes. It's on SummitCharleston.com and you can uh, read this and follow along with me. It's Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to pick up in the middle of the chapter as the preacher. Some say that it's Barnabas. Some say it's Paul. Some say it's Paul's scribe and his amanuensis. or some other thoughts out there who wrote it, Titus, other people. But the bottom line in the sermon is that he is saying that Jesus is the better hope. And so my courage, my encouragement to you today is this, is that our goal at Summit, the whole goal of Summit, is for you to encounter Jesus in a corporate worship. That's our first goal as we do this. That's where we love God. And then the next phase there is we live community. Tonight we'll be in here and worship at 6. We're we're meeting in here on Sunday nights during the summer. I want to invite you to come in there. I want you to get into community. Some of our men went to Camp McCall, went out there, and they tried to put Jesus into throwing knives and, and shooting guns and some people shot their guns with their safety still on, but we're not mentioning names, Randy. Um, but everything worked out, and, and nobody was hurt. Uh, well, maybe not too bad, uh, but nobody was hurt. I mean, that's, we want to build this community, but then we've got to release the presence of Jesus in serving. And so by doing so, we're asking you to open up your heart today to encounter Jesus. So here it is. Here's where we wrap our, our, our hearts and our affections, and our transformational minds in Christ around this. Hebrews 7, verse 11. He says this, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest To come. I'm just going to stop there and pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. You didn't lead us to a place where we were wandering in a desert looking for the next one to come. You sent the very promise of all your promises fulfilled and wrapped in Jesus. The sweet fragrance and aroma of your presence that we can have by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying today that your Holy Spirit fills us to our cup overflows and we can't help but pour out into others what you have poured into us we are so grateful and so thankful you are better than you are the better hope you are the better way you are the better life you are the better love because you give the better grace and you give the better mercy because you have better kindness and because you have better self-control and because you have better patience and because you are better at long-suffering, we rest in Jesus. And so we lift him up and we pray in his wonderful, powerful, transforming name as we engage with you, Lord, today not just in singing songs, not just in us meditating on your word, but we encounter the presence of the resurrected Savior, Jesus. And we worship you today and love you. Forgive me of my pile-high sins as you're continually washing them away. May you increase. I decrease. In Jesus' name, the saint said what? Amen. So here's the point, and I'm going to give you some explanations to the point. The point is this. The reason the resurrection gives us not just hope, because Jesus is the better hope. And so today, out of anything, if you have hope of a future in a job, you have hope of a future in a relationship, I want you to know today that Jesus is better than all that. He's the better hope. And we're going to land this plane of the resurrection equals hope on the better hope, which is Jesus. And here's an explanation why. Jesus is the better hope. Number one, Jesus is the better hope than our works. Look back there in verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood. And then here's the little caveat. And indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood. God says, I'm giving you the law, and Levites, you are the tribe that I choose to do the work of the priesthood. I'm choosing this group. Then he says this, why was there still a need for another priest to come? And remember, you remember the high priest would die, and when he would die, there would be a new high priest under the sons of Aaron, under that tribe. There of Levi. This whole beautiful aspect of these people. But yet there's a better hope because in Jesus, because he's better than our works. And what I'm afraid of is that we look to Jesus through works. So here's how, and hear me now, hear me. I'm not putting down any denomination. We're at a point in time that America, listen, like I said last week, we are not post Christian. This world is anti Christian. Can I get a witness? Now we're at Summit, so y'all need to loosen up. I know some of you grew up that if you spoke, you were going to burn. The only thing you're going to burn is when we bring out the disco ball and say, Disco Inferno, you're okay to speak. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, 70s. All right, so what I mean by this is somehow we base everything on works. We, base, we try to make our relationship with God, and we put it into this nice linear capsule of works. So some people are baptized as infants. Some people go through this catechism of teaching. Some people uh, go through the rituals of walking forward and, and standing in front of a church and saying yes I've received Christ and then maybe there's this uh, public profession of baptism or maybe there's these confessions or maybe these these acts of service or maybe I'm gonna be married to the church or married to somebody else and and, and writes, and so we put it into a nice linear trail. And I want you to know that that is not, that does not mean that you are saved and have a relationship with Jesus. You do not have a relationship with Jesus because you do the things of God. Jesus preached against it in Matthew 7. What didn't they say responded? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we work many miracles in your name? And Jesus said, what, saints? Depart from me, I never what? Yes, knew you. Because it's built on a surrender. When was the moment you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? That is the moment that God had done a miracle in your life that you see that you need Jesus. That you see that there's this great gap that you can't cross. And the only one who can stand in it is Jesus. And the only way that's righteous is Jesus. It's not by doing these things. Now that's that's a linear work. And Jesus is better than any work. Because there's no work good enough. See, the Levites thought that. The Levites were there. That no one could be better than the Levites. Think about this. God chose them from the Torah, the Old Testament, the law. It chose them. This is the tribe. But that was just a foreshadowing. They were chosen. They were the chosen tribe to stand between God and man. And here's what the Lord showed me. John, they could offer sacrifices, but they could never be thee. You didn't get it. They could offer sacrifices, but they they could never be the what? Sacrifice. See, it goes back to this linear movement of works. If everything is done by what we do, that's a a work, and Jesus is better than that because there's no work that's going to stand in front of the Lord except Jesus. In fact, I want to quote what Warren Wiersbe said. In fact, Aaron Aaronick, Priests did not sit down at all, spiritually speaking, for their work was never done. In other words, he says, there were no chairs in the temple. See, when you base your life on works and your relationship with God on works, your work is never done. Your work is never enough for the Lord. It's never enough. And Jesus is better than work. He's better than any work. Like, this is not a work for me. This is a joy for me. Like, let's, let's keep going. I want you to see something. Drop down with me to verse 18 and 19 of chapter 7. The former regulation, that is the law, is set aside because it was weak and useless. Verse 19, for the law made Nothing perfect. If the law made nothing perfect, like Warren Wiersbe said, then consequently the priesthood made nothing perfect. Did you get it? If the priesthood makes nothing perfect, then their works make nothing perfect. For the law makes nothing perfect, and anybody working by the law makes nothing perfect. There's nobody who's a greater priest in, that we would say in Judaism, than the tribe of Levi and the sons of Aaron, the high priests. But scripture goes on to say that those were foreshadowings of the one because they could not fulfill the sacrifice, but the great high priest would not only offer the sacrifice, he would become the sacrifice. And so now, what do we do in response to him being the sacrifice? Well, now we release the presence of Jesus in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I, the Lord Holy Spirit led me to this passage because it's a popular passage and because you, some of you might recognize this. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 in the New American Standard says it this way. For by grace you have been saved through what? And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, Right? It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not a work. Jesus is better than works, so we're released from it. Then he goes on to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them we walk in these works his workmanship y'all know what that Greek word is I've taught you it's the word where we get poem so we are God's poem to the world uh we're we're to be read by all men so we are his poem the workmanship is poetry it's beautiful It, it means something it has rhythm to it it has a metric to it. And that's what he's saying, that our works have a rhythm. We don't just bounce from here to there to here to there. there has, there's, a, there's, a, there's something to it. There's a poem. So I'm in that plane. My responsibility is to be God's poem, not a problem. And so I have to release that. You see what's beautiful? Let's keep reading. Let's go In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. This is where in theology we talk about the nearness of God. And and I feel like the Lord just wants me to let you know this idea that God is so good by his kindness. He's allowing us to draw near. We're not just Calling out into space and into air. But God is allowing us to draw near to him. But let's keep going there. Verse 20. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. Verse 21. I'm going to explain that in just a little bit, a willing. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And then I love this. In verse 22, because of his oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. He is the guarantee of it. And so what happens is, in, uh, as we work and release the presence of Jesus, the work has already been done. He is better than him. There's not any work you can do to satisfy your relationship with Jesus. There's nothing you can do post-salvation. Uh, there's nothing pre-salvation there are no works that you and i can do jesus is the guarantee he is the one so let's go back up and keep reading there in verse uh 11 7 chapter 7 verse 11 and let's let's read if perfection could have been attained through the levitical priesthood and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood why was there still a need for another priest to come in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. So what he's saying is, here's this guy, I'm, they're relating Jesus to this, to this Melchizedek, this priest that, that we see Abraham give a tenth to. He gives a tenth of all that he has to this guy. And in Scripture, there's, he has no genealogy. Like there's, Nobody says who's his father and, and then who's his descendants. There's no beginning or end. It's, it's this typology of Jesus. He said they didn't come. Jesus doesn't come from the tribe of Levi. Let's keep reading. Verse 12, for when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe. And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. Look at verse 14. For it is clear that our Lord descended from who, saints? The tribe of Judah. Jesus came through the tribe of Judah. He didn't come through the tribe of Levi because the law can't make anyone perfect. The law is not intended to. Galatians 3, 17 through 24, if you want to read that later on, explains that. But the law was never intended. And and what happens is he's saying, listen, the prophecies were foretold that the scepter, the ruler, the king would come from the tribe of Judah. So he's not coming through in the tribe of Levi because priests, the works of man, mean nothing to God when it comes to our salvation. Let's keep reading. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. There's nothing in the Old Testament about the tribe of Judah being priests. And when... We have said, is, uh, and, excuse me, and what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, look at verse 16, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation, that is the tribe of Levi you're appointed, as to his an- ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Listen, Jesus is a better hope than our works, but here's point number two. Jesus a better hope because we can walk in his indestructible life. Do you know that? Do you know that you walk in an indestructible life, that somebody at your school can't run you down in the sense and destroy you when God has placed you there? Uh, you might not believe me. You, you, you realize that if God has put you in a job situation, that even though your boss may hate you and your co-workers despise you, that God has rendered you indestructible while he has called you there? When God has put you in a relationship with somebody and they have become a thorn in your flesh, do you realize as much as you want to get out of that relationship, you can't get out of it because your hope in Jesus realizes that that relationship is indestructible in the eyes of God. In, uh, what I could hold on was this, and my wife reminded me, she said, John, whether we're on that plane or whether we're in the car, if it's your time to die, it doesn't matter where you are. That's what she said to me. Now, that's, I guess she was prophetically speaking about the cray-cray that was coming in the plane. But that helped me so much because here's what I want you to know. Until God calls you home, you're indestructible. Back it up with Scripture, John. Good. Hebrews 9, 27. Once appointed to be born, die, then face the judgment. No doctor knows your death date. Only Jesus does because that is the day that you're appointed to die to bring glory to the Lord. And so we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And God knows what's going to happen. It is an indestructible life. In other words, since Jesus' life is indestructible, the Holy Spirit showed me that Jesus is permanent. Do you realize that we walk in the life of Jesus indestructible? Our salvation is indestructible. Our salvation is permanent. You can't lose what you didn't earn. You can't lose it. He is indestructible. The Spirit was showing me this is unbelievable. The, the word indestructible, let me just give you just a little bit of Greek there. It means indissoluble. Uh, it, it, in other words, it's, it's this. You cannot dissolve it. If water were to go over a rock, eventually what happens to the rock? It changes, does it not? There's nothing that can dissolve. That's what it that means, indestructible in the Greek. Nothing that can dissolve the saving power of Jesus Christ. Nothing can be destroyed what Jesus puts in motion. Nothing. You and I can run from our calling. I ran from my pastor's calling for over 12 years. And let me tell you something. That calling was indestructible in my life. The harder I ran to something else, the stronger the voice. And I did everything to self-medicate that voice. I would try to be so successful as a coach that I would not have, I, where I, where I tried to build my whole life where my monetary livelihood and everything depended upon being a coach, but that still didn't quiet the spirit of God who is indestructible. And when he calls you, he will eat you up inside. When he's calling you something, you can't get out of it. You can't break it. Rob, you're going to have to come play over, play over me because I might do a spirit lap. I might run up in a balcony. Who knows? I don't know what I'm going to do. Somebody's like, oh, my word, he's crazy. See, nothing can be destroyed what Jesus puts in motion. Now, here's what's going to get real thick, family. God brought you in a marriage. And at this point, you roll over and you say, I hate that person. If God brought you to that marriage, then he is indestructible, and that marriage cannot be destroyed. I'm going to tell you how. Now, that other person might walk out but guess who will be the one standing? That person might run away, but guess who will be the one standing? That person might say, I hate you and go get a voice, but I ain't signing no copies. I told Lynette, if she leaves, I'm going with her. It's indestructible. See, I can't control the other person. I can't control what the outcome of the other Other person may go get divorced, remarried, but I'm going to tell you, I'm standing, the indestructible word of God has spoken in our lives and we have to ride it until there is nothing else. God is going to give that to you. Listen, indestructible, that's why he says in Matthew 19, 6, so they are no longer, what's this, they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Because God is saying your marriage should be indestructible. When you find that, per- let me tell you something. Don't be bringing home nobody you are gonna spend the rest of your life with. Why are you, why are you spending your time on what's, what's temporary when you need to be spending your time on what's permanent? Because temporary things will leave you scarred. Right, saints? Because it's indestructible, the indestructible word of God. Listen, your gifts and calling that God has given you are indestructible. You could sit there. I had a phone call this week on somebody in this room. I'm not mentioning any names sitting in the back. So he don't even know. He didn't, I bet when he came to CSU, he didn't know that God would use me, little preacher boy, nothing. And they were calling me, asking him about a job. Should we? Should we not? I said, let me pray about it. No. Then I said, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, you need to take him. Because, listen, when God's put something in you, you can't, you can't run from it. You cannot run from it. Listen, I'll back it up. Romans eleven twenty nine, 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are what, saints? That's a big word, I know. I had like one person say it. I was doing the Hulk Hogan thing and nobody went for it. Hulkamania is running wild. Never mind. And so... Right? The giftings or the gifts and the calling of God are what, saints? Yeah, you can't change it if you wanted to. That's me. I couldn't run from past. Just eat me, eat me, eat me. And God gave me grace. He could have said, John, you're just so disobedient. I'm just going to take you home. But God is kind. And so he let me stay, and it ate me more, and it ate me more, and it ate me more, and it ate me more. I know Coach is standing in the back. The Lord is speaking to you, and it eats you, and it eats you, and it eats you. And you wonder why, and you wonder why, because his calling is irrevocable. And everybody around you says, what are you doing? And God says, what am I doing? Sorry, brother, I love you. What about a plan? God's plan is irrevocable. Job 42, verse 2. Job said this at the very end of the last chapter. And I've been been blessed by the Lord to teach this book twice here at CSU. I've had to teach this book here. Twice. And in it, this, this verse just wrecks me. Job said to God in the very last chapter, I know that you can do all things. No purpose, other other versions say plan. No plan of yours can be thwarted. When God has a plan for you and you're sitting there in high school, God has a plan. You can't stop his plan. You can run. The wicked flee when no one is chasing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You know why wicked people are constantly on the move? Because they can't ever settle. Why? Because they don't have a settled heart. Okay, I'll go over here. Because they don't have a settled heart. People can't settle in a relationship. They go from relationship, to relationship, to career, to school, to school. They can't ever settle. Why? Because they're not submitting to God's call. And God's call is not an easy call because your easiness, if it was easy, then we would begin to relax and put our rest and our trust and our hope in our circumstances. But he lets the circumstances fall apart. So the only one that would be trust and easy and good is him. No plan could be thwarted. No destiny of yours can be thwarted. Ephesians 1.5. It's indestructible. Your destiny is indestructible. Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. The word predestined means to be predetermined. It's in the o- in the New Testament. It's an idea of God decreeing from all eternity. He has decreed from all eternity. This is our destiny. Or this is the way walking it. His indestructible life means that you and I can never be separated from the love of Christ. Check this out. Romans, this ought to bring some scripture to mind. These are popular passages, family. Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, ooh, Mufasa, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else, in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our what, saints? Nothing can separate us because Jesus has an indestructible life. Jesus is indestructible. And that's why we can have a better hope because he's better than our works. We can have a better hope He's a better hope because of indestructible life. Go back there to verse 19. Hebrews 7:19. For the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And our last thing is this is that Jesus is the better hope because he draws us near to God. He draws us near. And he can do that because of his indestructible life. And go down to verse 25. Therefore, in other words, the verse before says that he has a permanent priesthood. He's indestructible life. He's the permanent priest. He never dies. He never gives up. He never gives up. He never gives up on us. Never, never, never. Why? Verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely. See, you and I can't save ourselves completely. We might can get out of situations, but we can never stop coming death. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. You can't come because your parents baptize you as an infant. That's not coming to Jesus. You can't come to God that way. You can't come because somebody said, I'm going to put a nice white outfit on you and we're going to sprinkle something on you and you are good to go. You have to come. The Bible says, as you just read, through Jesus and that he will save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to do what saints he is interceding. Romans 8, the Spirit is interceding with groanings too deep for words, right? Uh, in Romans 8, Jesus is interceding. He always lives to intercede. We are always saved. It's an indestructible salvation because Jesus has an indestructible life because he's our indestructible high priest and he has an indestructible plan and purpose and destiny for each and every one of us. So my uncle died. Sunday night, two minutes before I preached, my uncle died. They sent me a text. My dad's uh, only sibling. He had another sibling that uh, wasn't a sibling. He had a cousin that was raised with him that we call my uncle. But it was his only like sibling. My uncle Jim Davis, Concord, North Carolina. I was in Concord. Kissing those. I'm talking about. And so I go up Thursday, and I fly sh- from Charlotte to Atlanta, Atlanta, Louisiana. Atlanta. So we go up for the funeral. My uncle was a superior court judge tried in all one hundred counties when the House of Representatives uh, I got to see my, my he uh, my, uh, one, has one daughter and three sons. I got to see them. Uh, the one daughter she had severe um, problems in her brain she was married and, 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 and he left her and, and she had this surgery and And they didn't know if she would ever fully recover or she'd die on the table. She had the surgery, so she has some health problems. But I'm going to tell you, my cousin Lisa is one of the most godly, sweet women. Now, she would walk in this room, and she's got problems health-wise. And she can't always get through her thoughts because of the massive brain surgery. But let me tell you, she loves Jesus. And then my other cousin Mike He's a big guy, and, and he's about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and, 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 and just, man, he just, they, they get it. Like, he's starting to get in his life. He's starting to understand Jesus. Uh, my, my cousin, other cousin Mark, he just retired as a captain in the police department there in Concord. And then my, my uncle, uh, there was two two children on the last helicopter out of the one town in Vietnam. Coming out, we were pulling all the troops out, and there were these children with nothing left. And they took these two, and one of them was named Hong. And they brought him back into Charlotte and and, North Carolina. My my uncle, being a a judge and a a very powerful man, Superior Court, very powerful, He, he took this one Vietnamese boy in. Hong and Hong became my cousin and, and we would see each other, you know, uh, obviously on the weekends, people get together and stuff, and, and we see each other. He, he was a wonderful, he went on to be a quarterback at Concord High School. He's now a cardiologist in Annapolis, Maryland. Very successful. Um, and he had his children there, ones at Villanova, and great, great people. And and so it's just to see my family and see this. And so then they begin to sing and, and, and talk about my uncle when this big massive church, First Baptist Concord. It's massive and my uncle had been there forever, and, and, and so there was this male chorale singing, and, and the guy on the front was an older gentleman, and Robbie, he had to be about almost 80 years old, and they were singing How Great Thou Art, and he was weeping because my uncle had touched him. And so he was just, and, and, he was, and it was tearing me up. I'm just looking at it like, Lord, this is, this is one of my favorite songs. Please sing that at my funeral, but sing it with power. Don't be singing it like Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Get some people up here. Can bring the noise. You know what I mean, Robbie? Like, bring it. And so they're singing, and then, then the pastor, my uncle's pastor, gets up and tells a story about a guy named Jim Murphy. I believe that's his name. And my uncle, this 18 year old boy, jumps this woman, beats her up, and takes takes her money. And so I'm a land land of sermon. Here's what happened. They take the money in, and, and and he goes in front of my uncle. It's a felony. And my uncle said to the bailiff, he said, bailiff? And I don't know what county he's in now. My uncle, they, he traveled all over North Carolina. Like his nickname was Life, Jim Life Davis. Do you understand what I'm saying, people? If you walked in his courtroom, he'd say, before the roll call, he'd say, uh, uh, if you're found guilty in my courtroom, I'm going to punish you to the fullest extent of the law. Call the roll. I mean, he, was a, he loved Jesus, but he ain't playing no games. Y'all with me? That's my, that's my people. They're crazy. Like, they hit first and then ask questions later. Y'all, y'all were raised that way too. And so, uh, so he, he tells that 18-year-old, he said, he said, young man, that's how he kind of talked. Young man, you're going with the bailiff. And I want that bailiff to take you all around North Carolina Central Prison. Trust me, he sent many people to Central Prison on death row. And he said, I want you to take him over all that whole prison. And I want you to take him to the electric chamber. And I want him to see everything and I want you to bring him back to me. So they took him to Central Prison in Raleigh, which I've been in before. not a great place to be. And so uh, to the juvenile area right beside it. And, and then um, he comes back, and he says, young man, you have two choices. Which one will you choose? You can either for six months, you can go and work for that lady and do whatever she says and whatever she needs, and you will pay back all that money back and then some back, and you will do whatever for six months. You will take care of that poor lady. Whatever she needs, you will do everything. Or you'll be sentenced to five years in central prison. Make your choice. Well, guess what he chose? He chose to serve that lady. And so in the Concord area, it became a big story because later on that man, Jim Murphy, became such a giver and did so well that he started... One Christmas and Thanksgiving giving meals to people, to 14 people, and it blossomed to hundreds, if not thousands. And he was forever changed because a judge had wisdom. And that was just one of the many that could have been told about my uncle. But there's somebody better than him, and his name is Jesus. And he'll give you a better hope. You might be looking at your situation and struggling. Though You might be looking at somebody else's family situation or somebody else's health situation and struggle. Let me tell you something. There is only one God, and His Son, Jesus, is the only way to Him, and He will give you His Spirit. But I want to tell you this. Only all your hope must be in Jesus. There's nobody that's going to be better and nobody more satisfying than Jesus. He's your better hope. And so today... Is an act of worship. Will you surrender your family, your career, and for some of you that have never done it in this room, your life to Jesus. Put all your hope in him. You might want to come down and say, God, I need some hope right now. You said in your word that Jesus is better than. It, it's indestructible. Right now, I feel like this is falling apart. Show me you. Show me yourself as indestructible. Whatever you need, God, it can become. If you need prayer, there'll be people over here, deacons and elders and anointed people of prayer. There'll be people back in the prayer room, even after this worship gathering, out in the front, willing to pray with you and minister and go to the Lord on your behalf. But don't walk away today without entering into the presence of the Lord. Is a song we're singing, Oceans? A lot of you know that song, Oceans, don't you? And that's not a song to be sung lightly because you're stepping out in faith into rough water, into scary territory, into places unknown. But as an act of worship, some of you will come and just say, God, I need hope in this situation. Show me yourself as indestructible. Go before me in this new job. Go whatever it is. God's going to do that. Begin to pour out your heart to the Lord. Some of you will stand and sing that song. But here's what I want you to do. Don't stand up and sing it unless you mean it. Don't you dare stand up and say, I'll go where you call. I'll go into oceans. I'll all you, don't dare sing it unless you mean it, and let that be your act of worship. Father, that is my prayer. Who needs to call upon you today? Who needs prayer? Who needs people that will pray over them when they're prayed out? Uh, other people are prayed up. Lord, what are some places that we need to we need hope in? Some situations we need. Lord, who needs those prayers? People come and pray because you've anointed and called them? Maybe there's some people in here that just need to say, I, I need Jesus. I've lived, I've lived my whole life thinking I was saved because I was baptized as an infant. And i got to come to Jesus and surrender. And some of us in this room, Lord, this song is so prophetic that Anna's going to sing. It's so prophetic because she's going to sing that we're going to step out into waters unknown. And many of us in this room, you're going to call us into places of unknown. But the reason why they're unknown is so that you can be known. So Lord, we worship you today. We follow you. You are better than, Lord. You are better than. Who needs something better and something indestructible? Who needs Jesus?